You are listening to the Liquid Flannel Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Chuck Williams. Joining me in Nebraska, as usual, is Brendan Williams. How are you doing, Brendan? I'm doing all right, man. The news comes fast and furious, just like the Fast and Furious trailer at the Super Bowl. And joining us in Arlington, Texas, is the great Matthew Hodges. Matt, how's it going? Everything is fantastic. Yeah, we've got a ton of great stuff to talk about. Absolutely. Looking forward to diving in. What all even happened in current events this week? It seemed like just a couple of fumbles and no major policy things. I think the biggest thing going on right now is uh, Betsy DeVos. It's funny you mentioned fumbles because the Super Bowl happened. But yes, also the DeVos for sure. And you actually were the feed on the street reporter for those DeVos uh, protests in Nebraska, right? Yeah, I went to a couple. So Deb Fisher's office is kind of uh, up by where my office is. And so they were having a protest one day. So I said, oh, I'll hop over on that on my way home. It was pretty cool. Lots of people showed up. Um, I mean, like way more people than I expected. I, I kind of went because I was like, there's no no one's going to be here. So I was like, I kind of feel like I'm I'm already kind of close by. And this is, you know, I do feel strongly that Betsy DeVos is terrible. <laughs> right. It seems almost unanimous that... People on both sides of the aisle, and that's why her nomination's in trouble, because two Republicans have already said, like, I can't in good conscience vote for her. Including um, one that received money from one of her foundations. I mean, Lisa Murkowski yeah. has every reason to to go along with the flow, right. and she's like, no, I can't. Well, and they said, in part, <laughs> that their decision to publicly come out and say that they couldn't support her was due to the overwhelming amount of calls that their offices had received. Yep. So Deb Fisher is a senator from Nebraska. Her mother was actually a Lincoln public school teacher. Right. And so she had expressed some reservations early on. People kind of uh, jumped on that saying, hey, there's a potential here that she could listen to reason and, Mm -hmm. you know, understand that this is a horrible choice for public schools to nominate Betsy DeVos. So they organized a protest outside of her office. I didn't expect there to be that many people there. But when I showed up, I was really impressed by the enthusiasm of the crowd. So much positivity some really hilarious signs um, from people. This lady had a giant sign that said like, if you find a spine, please call. And then like had Deb Fisher's office number. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) And and stuff like that. Uh, They had people leading chants. It was really cold, but Mm -hmm. it didn't matter because everyone was together and everyone was excited to be out there and voicing their support for, you know, to get Deb, Deb Fisher to hopefully change her mind. Right. So is what do you think the chances are? I mean, is Deb Fisher open to changing her vote? I mean, well, probably not. Yeah, I mean, right now it looks like it's a 50-50 tie and Mike Pence will go in and well break the tie and vote to confirm her. I will say that teacher, the teachers union in the past has thought of Deb Fisher as an ally. They have been able to get some sort of consensus or work with her on things like that No Child Left Behind repeal. And I do know that the National Teachers Union is set to have their convention in D.C. this week. And they're also going to be lobbying their state senators while they're there. So there's a chance, a very good chance that this will be brought up right as we're uh, releasing this episode, actually. How much of an influence it'll have, I don't know. It's been really frustrating for me here in Texas because 
you know, the voucher program and more money for charter schools and school choice that DeVos promotes doesn't work for so many Texas communities. You know, we've got small towns out here where there's not a charter school. You're going to bust your kid 45 minutes into the the next largest place. Just to have choice. Right. Meanwhile, you know, Texas education funding is already really low, mm-hmm. you know, low income parents trying to make a choice. Now they'll now they'll have a choice to send their kid to an already ailing and now failing public school or figure out a way to get them an hour and a half into San Antonio to a school that has no documentation that it'll improve their scores or anything. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And meanwhile, my senators are John Cornyn and Ted Cruz, who <laughs> will go along with the party line. But I think, you know, you can't come at it from the angle of don't like game yourself out of engagement. You know what I mean? Sure. Protesting Maybe it's not going to make her change her mind, but it's going to make her the fact that she even came out publicly and vo- and said she was going to vote for DeVos mm-hmm. was because protesters had been calling and putting pressure on her to make a public statement. Yep. She was happy to just say to let it fly to under, say nothing yeah. right to don't nobody pay attention to my vote to what I'm yep. doing. Right. So bringing attention to the vote, bringing attention to the fact that there's vocal, energized opposition to the vote. Maybe it doesn't change the vote, but even... It puts them on notice. Right. It makes them think twice about it, and it makes them have to try to respond, right? It makes them have to publicly be able to defend their vote. Defend it. Which, if they can't do in a satisfying way, you know, makes them look bad, and it makes them look like they're voting for their party over their constituents, and And that's not not a good look. And not just look bad, but look vulnerable in upcoming elections and re-elections, and... I was wondering if if anyone had the strategy, at least with Deb Fisher, to say, look, your seat could be in jeopardy. We care more about our schools than we care about the party. If you go along with this, you, you'll be safe. But if you're going to just go for Betsy DeVos, then you're not going to be safe. I mean, do you think that they felt that at all? Or I think I think absolutely. And okay. I think. Just being out there, you know, showing visible opposition and making them making them put their words down mm-hmm. <laughs> and to say, what are you actually doing? Why are you doing this yep. to have to justify it? And I think it's a victory to even get to 50 50 and make Mike Pence have to come in and do yeah. the tie breaking vote. Because that's mean, never sure. happened before. That, yeah, that's never happened before on this type of an appointment. And I don't think it's a great look for them to say we're having to like basically pull out all the stops and and have Mike Pence come in and and break a tie, just putting the pressure on them. And and that's the thing that you can't forget is that, you know, my calls, you know, maybe aren't going to make someone change, but it is going to make them know that they're not coasting on easy street, Yes, that there are people paying attention to what you're doing and making your public statements have weight. Like I said, if you don't have a good justification to vote for Betsy DeVos, get her on paper saying, yeah, I'm voting for even though I have reservations so that that way when Betsy DeVos does something stupid that makes the agency look stupid, mm-hmm. you can pull this out and say, look, we tried to, we did everything we could. Yep. And Deb Fisher wouldn't go along with it. And now look at, you know, she's in on the mess, you know, tying yep. her to it. So yep. it's, it's all about kind of gaming it out long term that you can't just say, well, protests don't work because we didn't get this one specific person to change their vote in this one specific way. Right. It has to be a longer term strategy of keeping the pressure on keeping the attention on there yeah 
and keeping some accountability in there. And I mean, one of my favorite things that's coming out of this presidency so far is, I mean, seriously, guys, who was the Secretary of Education under Obama? <laughs> no one knows. I think it was <laughs> right. It was Arnie Duncan, wasn't it? Arnie Duncan. Damn you, Brendan. Okay, Brendan, <laughs> Brendan. Brendan ruined the joke, but. Man, my point is everybody knows every cabinet pick yep, at this right. point. Yeah, um, these these names are so hotly contested that I mean we're seeing a rise in civic engagement that I think is going to help America, yep. just not the way that they planned. Right. See? Well, and I think how many people would have even been paying attention to the Secretary of Education or whatever if there weren't all these protests saying how ridiculously unqualified she is. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, they were right. hoping that they could just skate this by and say, we'll just nominate an unqualified person that donated millions and millions of dollars to Republicans and no one will care. Yeah, mm-hmm. You know, you have to show them, we do care. We see what you're doing and yeah. we are vocally opposed to it. The kids are young. Their future's clear. Their public schooling will disappear. It's demonic, it's demeaning, it's divorcey. Setting schools up to crash. She can then open charters for cash under trained, underpaid staffs, the new status quo. And it blows the dough. Another example and, and another thing that happened recently is Trump's Supreme Court pick was announced. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you hear a lot of people saying, well, what's the Democrats' plan? Are they going to try to filibuster? Where, you know, what happens next? Do they need to save the filibuster for the next nominee? It's exposing that the Democrats aren't necessarily unified in opposition to Trump and that they're saying, well, maybe, you know, he it's not the worst pick he could have made. Yeah, I actually had a friend call me last night and said, hey, can we talk about this from a game theory perspective? What do you think they need to do about Neil Gorsuch? And my perspective on that is that he's basically... You know, the seat was vacated by Antonin Scalia, and Gorsuch is very much along those same jurisprudential lines. Right. And apparently also is a bit of a nicer guy. Uh, so it's it's a wash if there's going to be a major roadblock to a Trump SCOTUS nominee. I think that they should wait. I think that they should save it, you know. Make sure that you vet Gorsuch a lot, not that anything ever comes out in those hearings, but wait until Kennedy or Ginsburg retires and he has a chance to fill a liberal seat on the bench. And that's when you start throwing the major roadblocks up. There's also a reasonable chance that that will happen after the midterms. And we don't know what Congress looks like after the midterms. The thing about the Senate Supreme Court nomination process is... They need 60 votes mm-hmm. to end debate and then have the up or down vote where they only need 51 right. to approve or not. But they need technically 60 votes to get to that stage, right. to move it to the actual voting stage and to end debate. They need a 60 vote consensus. And I guess I don't see the benefit in any Democrat supporting being one of those 60 votes. I guess right. the argument is, well, I can be I could say let's move it to the next stage and then I'm voting against him, but he's going to get confirmed. I just don't see the benefit in in going along with it. I right. mean, the argument is, well, if you do that, then the Senate's going to quote go nuclear, which means they change the rules of the Senate to 
make it so that they don't need 60 votes. They can proceed to the final vote with only a 51 vote majority. Right. But good. Then do that. Right. Make them do it. Right. That's what the Republicans got so good at is they called the bluff. Right. Yeah. They're like, well, they're not really going to shut the government down. They're like, well, watch us. Right. And so now Republicans are saying, well, Democrats really aren't going to make us do go nuclear oh it's our you know they're making us do it it's like yeah. you know what look if they're if they're we serious don't about be the bad guy right if they're serious about wanting to do it make them do it don't make them hold it back that assumes that your average american cares about the procedural rules of congress and i don't think that they do most people didn't understand what the government shutdown meant unless they were employed by the federal government most people i mean if you ask your average person on the street you know Back a few years ago when the federal government shut down, how did that impact your life? And they'd go, what happened now? <laughs> right. I don't think that it's to the advantage of – see, this is this is the difference. It's a different strategy. It's do you want a functioning government or do you want for things to go your way all the time? And the Democratic Party is still playing the we want a functioning government game. And the mm. Republican Party has been pretty clear about – we just want our way all the time is going to be our strategy. The problem is the end result's the same, right, is that he gets confirmed to the Supreme Court. In one way, he gets confirmed to the Supreme Court with the help of Democrats by saying, well, we're doing our job. We're moving the process along as we said that we would do. And the other way he gets confirmed, but through a contentious process, which involves the Republicans having to rewrite the rules of the Senate. One way it's through a legitimate process and one way through it's a, through a process where Republicans have taken actions that are controversial and questionable. I mean, I think if you're looking at those two end results, you might as well Force just them. do the one that makes the Republicans look bad, right? The end yeah. result's going to be the same. It's not like the Democrats can block him alone, right? Maybe something explosive comes out during the confirmation hearings that makes him withdraw his nomination or makes Republicans vote against him. I don't see that happening. It's terrible that Mitch McConnell's going to change the rules of the Senate and... and go nuclear quote on the on the filibuster but he's going to do that anyway you know right. there's going to be some vote that he's going to do it on you might as well <clears throat> you might as well just get it over with I, I don't know okay again though this assumes that anybody who's not a policy wonk cares about the senate procedural rules and i think if democrats were to not obstruct the hearing then make a uh, symbolic vote against gorsuch and he gets confirmed anyway. When the next nominee comes along, the Republicans are trying to paint them as, you know, the Democrats just want to obstruct anything, everything. They're going to be able to say, no, look, we played by the rules with Gorsuch. This guy is actually unqualified. That's why we're we're doing it now. I feel like there's got to be just closets full of examples of the that the Democrats can go to and say, well, we played by the rules here. I don't know how many more we need to get. And it sounds like you're kind of saying it both ways, right? You're saying, well, the public doesn't care if the rules of the of the Senate are changed or con but then well, then why would they care if the Democrats followed them if they're not going to care if the Republicans break them? You're not getting any benefit. <laughs> I just don't, yeah, I don't know. It's a more compelling story for the Democrats to say, "No, we're not the party of obstruction. Look, we didn't block Neil Gorsuch even though we were yeah. opposed to it." Because we gave him the fair hearing, now we're blocking this nomination because this person is actually bad for the country. That's a much better narrative for the Democrats than 
to what most Americans is a fairly arcane process. Most people don't know how this happens exactly. They don't care about the procedural rules of the Senate. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I think you're right in that that's probably what will happen is that Democrats will do exactly what you said to say, look, we'll just go along with it. We don't like it, but we're going to go along with it. I don't think they need to go along with it. I'm saying they don't need to throw a wrench into the works on whether or not the guy gets a hearing, but they can say we voted against him, but we gave him a fair yeah. hearing. No, I say go ahead and do the hearings. But like I said, if they if they need 60 votes to to bring the hearings to an end and move on with the process, I don't see any benefit to Democrats adding to those 60 votes. And I, I'd say force them to go nuclear, make them look bad, make up. I mean, that'll be headlines, right? To say, look at what the Senate is doing. They're in power in all three, you know, in the House, in the Senate, in the executive branch. They're And they still have to change the rules to do what they want. How disgraceful. I mean, I feel like, like I said, the end result's going to be the same. You might as well... Just fight tooth and nail. I mean, mm -hmm. there's no there's no downside in it from what I can see to just yeah. fighting as, as hard as you can fight. Make them put their money where their mouth is. If they say they're going to change the rules, make them do it. Make mm -hmm. them be the bad guys. That's actually complimentary to my preferred strategy, because at that point, the Democrats will have both things. They can say we played by the rules and we wanted to keep him from getting on the court. They had to change the rules. And now. We don't even want to give this guy a hearing. That's how much worse this is. That is the difference between the Republicans and the Democrats in that Obama explicitly came to the table with a compromised pick. He didn't pick the most extreme liberal justice that he could get away with. Right. He picked a centrist justice that a lot of the more progressive liberal wing of the party was disappointed by his pick with centrist judge Merrick Garland. Mm -hmm. That got him absolutely no points. Republicans yeah. didn't care one bit and it didn't change anything. So it's like, yeah, he might have as well have just nominated the most ridiculous liberal justice he could. The end result would have been the same and he would have scored some points with At that least wing. It looked like he tried to, to appeal to that base. So. Even and what's what's really funny though is even if this dude gets through and gets on, why would you even want to when you're probably at some point going to be called a so-called judge, you know, by your <laughs> by your commander in chief anyways, the mm. person that appoints you? I mean, did you guys see that this weekend? The tirade that Trump went on about the judge putting a temporary halt on his uh, immigration ban. And I was at the immigration scene. This week with the Twitter tirades this weekend, they were mostly irate about that justice halting, temporarily halting the travel ban, and Trump just calling the uh, federal judge out in Seattle, right? Judge that was appointed by George W. Bush. Yeah. And is conservative leaning. Yeah. And was confirmed by the Senate in like a 99 to 0 vote. This guy is a guy that literally no side has an issue with and makes a decision. And Trump is just like this so called judge. Everything just goes immediately to questioning the legitimacy of his antagonist well and even goes so far as to say hey blame the judges next time there's an yeah. attack oh yeah 
And now you just kind of wonder, wouldn't that kind of incentivize someone to have an attack? That way they can blame a judge. Right. Oh, no, it's literally it's literally a dare. He's like, I dare ISIS to attack us right now. If ISIS attacks us, it would basically destroy the entire judicial system. Wouldn't that be a shame? Wink, wink. Right. (laughs) That's Trump's foreign policy, apparently. But yeah, so he was just going after it so much. I was thinking, man, if I was his uh, Supreme Court nominee, I don't know if I'd even want to go through with it. He doesn't seem to understand exactly how checks and balances work what the justice's job is supposed to be so i thought that that was pretty funny this weekend hillary clinton tweeted about the super bowl (laughs) halftime performance of lady gaga that that was excellent so good job hillary clinton on standing up there gaga 2020 gaga yonce that's the the gaga and beyonce team up ticket oh nice going against kanye well, we've got to talk about the Super Bowl a little bit, right? Well, yeah. I didn't watch it, so you guys are going to have to talk about the Super well, Bowl. Did you watch the, it, Brendan? I did. I don't really follow NFL, so... I watched it, I yeah. I watched it, but only because the hook this year was that the Super Bowl was a referendum on Trumpism because it was Atlanta Falcons representing, you know, the Black Lives Matter left-leaning contingent, <laughs> especially when... Well, didn't Trump have... Twitter beef with Atlanta. He said it was like an inner city hellhole or whatever. Because... Oh, yeah, yeah, because the Representative Lewis. <laughs> right. Lu- yeah. So uh, questioned the legitimacy of the president versus the the Patriots for their fifth title, uh, their fifth Super Bowl championship or whatever. Yes. Uh, of a team full of a bunch of Trump supporters. You got Richard Spencer out on Twitter being like, you got to root for the Patriots because they're the whitest team and Atlanta's a black hellhole. The whitest team. Whether it's the quarterback, the coach, or the owner supporting President Trump, and the fact that they have in the past been accused of stealing other teams' uh, plays. Yeah, they like secretly record, like filmed their opponents' practices and like stole their playbooks and stuff. And then also Tom Brady, the quarterback, had been accused of deflating the footballs in a postseason match last year in a cold weather game so that it was easier to grip the ball deflate gate right he okay was i don't want to talk about deflate gate a whole lot but i (laughs) do want to address that first point sure because one of the reasons that i'm not a huge fan of american football is that it seems like it's warfare i mean it's a war game right but it's locked into ancient rules of what warfare looks like it's so it's so restrictive and calculated as far as what's allowed and what isn't allowed okay that it's almost un-american when you think about how the american revolution was fought with guerrilla warfare to a large extent through guerrilla warfare and not meeting them on the field the way that they expected so if the patriots are spying on the enemy that's the most American warfare thing you could possibly right. do. Yeah. In an amazing game. So the the Falcons came out to an early lead. Everyone was like, they got this in the bag. Yeah. They were like, no team in the history of the Super Bowl has ever come back from a deficit like this. This would be an unprecedented event yeah. if they were to somehow turn this. Oh, they've tied it up. We're going into overtime. The first overtime Super Bowl ever. And... The way that it works is you just do another coin toss. The Patriots win the coin toss, and then they just drive it down the field. 
and get it in, and then they go, yay, you won. Yeah. <laughs> and that always, the, the overtime rules for the NFL are crazy to me, and it's not just sour grapes. I personally did not care which team won. <laughs> if you march down the field and you don't score a touchdown, but you kick a field goal, then the other team has a chance to get the ball and come back down, and if they score a touchdown, they win, yeah. or if they kick a field goal, then you go, they it goes, goes back again. again. Yeah. <clears throat> but if you go down the field and score the touchdown, they don't even get a chance to at yeah, least they get do nothing. that. And I believe in the college game, they at least get that chance right. to equalize it and push it forward. Hmm. And I'm always just kind of like, that's weaker than penalty kicks in soccer. But Oh, I um, agree. It's been a while since we've talked about soccer, but we'll get back to that later. Anyways, um, <laughs> I felt like that was a little bit of a letdown. I just don't know what happened. I watched that game passively yesterday, and, I mean, Atlanta was catching everything. The, the Patriots could not catch the ball at all until the fourth quarter, and then all of a sudden everything just clicked. Yeah, it the was, most ridiculous catch yeah. of all time where it, like, bounced off a dude's, like, leg or whatever. There's, like, a pile of four guys I watched America become great again before my eyes in the fourth yeah. quarter. It after it after it happened, it was again. It was like the Trump victory. It was like Brexit against all odds. Right while it's happening, you're like, "There's no way this is going to happen." And then after it happened, you're like, "Of course this happened." You know, this is the stuff did. that no fear shirts were made of in the '90s. Okay, <laughs> just to bring it back to the original point of the show, the '90s. No fear. You're down You're down by however many in the fourth quarter. X amount of time left on the clock. What are you going to do? No fear. You're going to open the trapper keeper that has, has your plays in it and do the best thing. That's right. That's right. You're going to well, use your Gaga drone swarm to spy on your opponents. Oh. oh <laughs> did you see the Gaga concert? You didn't even see the Gaga, Matt? I figured somebody would post a, you know, five best moments of the Super Bowl <laughs> listicle at some point. I'll get caught up. It was, uh, it was pretty good. The Gaga was pretty good. And she jumped off the top of the stadium or they, something? You know, they want you to think that. It was like Peter Pan. It was great. I was on Twitter all last night, so I felt like I knew what was happening, even though I didn't have to see any of it. Yeah, Twitter has like a partnership with the NFL where sometimes you'll hop on Twitter and it'll just be like, hey, do you want to watch this NFL game live right yeah, now? You can watch this straight up game. Not the Super Bowl, but maybe next year. No, I just I just want to see people's hilarious hot takes about it. But that, you know, that goes back to what Brendan was talking about, how politicized this game was. And it was kind of a bummer, actually. Twitter was awful last night it wasn't you know the world series uh i thought was a really nice it, it was a breath of fresh air right there at the the end of the presidential mm -hmm. campaign not not quite at the end but it was like how world cup soccer soccer makes civil wars go on hold right you know everybody kind of put their weapons down and just enjoyed the game and the the social media response to this super bowl was not that at all it was really ugly and one of the ugliest things about it was all of the people on both sides saying everything has to be political right now. Like, can't we just enjoy the game? And that bothers me because I think that that's the point of this blitzkrieg of political action going on right now to wear people out. The, the big people in the middle that really need to be convinced one way or the other, they're just going to get tuckered out. They just don't want to hear about politics Ever again. Well, you know, it was still a good game, and <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know. I don't feel. I'm not gonna say <laughs> that I was naive to all the 
the obvious political undertones with the game, but maybe it's a good chance to talk about a little soccer. <laughs> <laughs> USA did play this weekend, didn't they? Yeah, Jamaica, and they Against won. Jamaica, yeah, right by the beach, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Lord of mercy. Mr. Samson's new coach. Son. Although it is funny, a lot of uh, soccer teams were actually saying that they were getting impacted by the Muslim travel ban. People with even with dual citizenships, if it was like, oh, I'm su- I'm half Sudanese or whatever. Oh yeah, and I play in Major League Soccer, and they're Made like, sure. if I go to Canada for a game, am I going to be able to get back? Who yeah. knows? Madeshore mm-hmm. is uh, half Iranian. He plays MLS in Canada. But yeah, he comes to the U.S. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, they might not let him in to play you soccer. Know. This is could impact the if the U.S. tries to bid for the World Cup. They'd be like, you can't host the World Cup. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Clearly, Iran plays in the World Cup. What, are you going to not let him in? Right. Uh, what's going on? We can't oh. host the Olympics? It's just ridiculous. This is so un-American. Oh, it's nonsense. And on top of it with Iran, they originally banned the U.S wrestling team from the world cup for wrestling that was going to be in iran coming up but now they have since then arranged special visas for the wrestling team because that's been a pretty strong bond one of the few strong bonds between the united states and iran has been through sports in particular the wrestling there's been examples of it in soccer hmm. where they played in the 98 World Cup and then had an exchange game after that World Cup. But in particular, the wrestling teams have been very competitive against each other, but also, you know, sharing in each other's cultures and things like that. This really put a strain on that relationship. That ban from Iran was as a response to the executive order. Yeah, right. absolutely. It was included absolutely. as one of the countries. Now they've lowered that. I mean, that seems like a sign of good faith, you know. The Iranian government has some serious problems, but the Iranian people love Americans. Right. Everybody I've ever spoken to or heard speak about it who's ever traveled to Iran says they're the friendliest people. They love Americans. They love for Americans to come visit them. So I'm not surprised that they have great relations when it comes to athleticism. Right. And I think that's one of the interesting things about sports is that if you look at the World Cup, it's an area of the world where no matter what is going on, it's a chance for the world to come together under something which on its face can seem frivolous and and weird and be like, well, you're just kicking a ball around or whatever. But it really is something that transcends cultural boundaries like nothing else can. Absolutely. So for all those Patriots fans out there, what I say to you now is come support the underdog version of the Patriots by watching your U.S. national soccer team. You know, <laughs> That's right. We, true, we true want Patriot. to reach across the aisle right now. Well, and also this is your opportunity, you hypothetical Patriots fan, to – be graceful and very American, be a good winner and say, you know, I'm glad that we all enjoyed this game together. And let's, that's a thing that makes us a country that we can all come around people committing traumatic brain injuries on each other. (laughs) Absolutely. But now when Tom Brady walks down the street, if he's ever walked down the same street as me, because I hang out with Giselle all the time, I'm going to scream, not my quarterback. (laughs) Best tweet I saw today was, 
Do I have to agree with Tom Brady's politics? No. Do I have to acknowledge that he is an accomplished athlete? Also, no. no. <laughs> you don't have to. Yeah, absolutely. God. Yeah. I did hear that Peyton Manning is looking at Coming running back. for Senate. No, oh, okay. running for Senate. You know? <laughs> yeah. So I forget if it's in Tennessee you or know, in Indiana. That's but. the thing. I was thinking about this the other day. You know, when Obama got elected, so many people were like, how inspirational is this going to be for all of like the kids of, of color and, you know, people of minorities growing up in this world thinking like, man, even though I'm a minority, I could be the president just like Obama was. What an inspirational figure. Who is the Trump presidency an inspirational figure to? But people like Kevin O'Leary on Shark Tank, who now wants to be the prime minister of Canada <laughs> and is trying to run. Right. Yeah. In Mark Canada. Cuban might run. And right, and all these crazy people. Yeah, Mark Zuckerberg has been doing what could easily be called like a soft campaign announcement. He's been traveling around to small towns and doing like town hall meetings with people. So it's like, yeah, the Trump candidacy is inspirational to a bunch of unqualified rich jack wagons to just be like, oh, I guess anybody could just do this. You could do, All you just have to do is be rich and go on TV and say crazy nonsense. Yep. And... People will totally vote for you because it's mm -hmm. funny. That's the inspirational legacy of Donald Trump here. Although, maybe even though that can be possible, maybe anyone can also become rich by uh, criticizing you too or become a media celebrity. So maybe there's opportunity abound for everybody. Well, I mean, the liquid flannel uh, Patreon account is doing incredibly well. So I think oh, there's man. a lot to that. And by incredibly well, we mean it's almost right. set up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but... I mean, I was out there protesting Betsy DeVos, holding up signs on the side of the road. I got paid like at least $6 million by George Soros to do that. Sure. I mean, you guys got to get in on this paid dude, protesting game. It's so dude, good. And it works out your arms, right? I mean, you get you get like that sign lifting going on. Oh, dude, so. yeah. It is like, it's a great workout. If you're thinking about hitting the gym, you know, maybe just stand out on the corner and just like go <laughs> hold like a dump Trump day. sign and just oh, do 100 lifts. What would you say the temperature was? Like 18 degrees? It was pretty cold. I mean, it was probably in the... 30s or something early february okay. in omaha i'm just gonna assume that it's in the zeros you you gotta just think about how it's like the hottest year ever six <laughs> years in a row and how at this point now we're I, i'm wearing a fleece right now matt it's february yeah and, and i'm, I'm not even gonna gloat right now that i'm wearing a t-shirt because my door is open and it's warm enough for me to do that because come july i'm gonna be melting when we do these podcasts yeah man summer is gonna be crazy i mean if you think uh it's impressive that a couple hundred people show up to protest in early february just wait until it's like 75 outside although i will say that i went to a black lives matter protest this year and it was during a very hot time of year and the cool thing is you see that camaraderie in the sense that there are tons of people like with medic backpacks on and people there was a grocery store nearby. So people were passing out just crates of waters and making sure everyone was hydrated and and no incident. So, you know, it really kind of helps with the solidarity. Yeah, I think there are going to be continued protests. I wonder 
Uh, all of the really ugly stuff they want to do is happening right now. And then the the more subtle, the more wonky, yeah. the more arcane things that they want to do are going to come after that. And those things are a little bit harder mm-hmm. to, to rally objection <clears throat> to. I think it will continue to happen, though. And I just realized that one thing that I could do as an activist is load right. up a backpack with several gallons of water and like a first aid kit. It seems like it's even confusing Trump himself with the executive orders. <laughs> right. That story that came out or leaked out, I guess. Trump didn't even realize that he had signed an executive order that was going to add Steve Bannon to the National Security Council and replace, I guess, uh, the head from the, the Joint, Joint Chiefs. Chiefs of Staff. Yeah. They said he wasn't briefed on it. So the New York Times has a front page story. Trump's staff is rethinking their path forward after some of their recent setbacks. Here's what it says. President Trump loves to set the day's narrative at dawn, but the deeper story of his White House is best told at night. Aides confer in the dark because they cannot figure out how to operate light switches in the cabinet room. Visitors conclude their meetings and then wander around, testing all the doorknobs until finding one that leads to an exit. The president retires at 6.30 p.m., to vent and intermittently use Twitter, watching television in his bathrobe, or calling people from his campaign, sometimes wandering around to explore the unfamiliar surroundings of his new home. This sounds like the end of Citizen Kane. The front page of the New York Times today. Okay, that must be... Wait a second, hold on. He tweeted this afternoon, and I... Oh, he tweeted that it was fake news, for sure. Oh, the failing New York Times and all that. Oh. Yeah. Whose subscription um, numbers are at a record high. But it's like, wouldn't they have been briefed on that? I mean, no, because I think everybody who would have been like, here's how the lights work, was like, I don't really like you, and you're being a jerk to me, so goodbye. Right. <laughs> Figure it out yourself. Okay, no, um, that, that makes sense, too. Did you know that traditionally the first lady is in charge of appointing the head of public outreach at the white house who coordinates public white house tours nice and she hasn't done that so their the tours are, are halted basically since the inauguration right but who is supposed to be acting as the first lady is that ivanka melania or, well but i thought that ivanka was going to be designated who knows right that. so no one's doing it basically right. melania just was like i'm working to get the best staff in the history of staffs so it's going to take a while it's going to take four years <laughs> <laughs> right but yeah, did you also see that it costs like $400,000 a day or whatever for like their security costs for Trump Tower and for freaking Mar-a-Lago or whatever? The the monthly budget for guarding Trump Tower is higher than the budget for all of the Section 8 housing in New York City. There was an old <laughs> Trump tweet where he said like, oh, Obama's spending sarcasm. $3 million on a Hawaiian vacation with all the security costs or whatever. Get back to work. Why are you wasting my tax dollars that <laughs> I didn't even pay because right. I don't pay taxes? And meanwhile, he lives at a resort anytime he's not at the White House. And it's like that. It's like those are the costs like every day because you refuse to live at the White House. Mm-hmm. But he, hey, he said he was not going to take that salary. He was just going to take a dollar. So seriously, saving money. So that player for the Patriots, Devin Courtney, says he's not going to go up to the White House as is tradition for Super Bowl winners to do. And everyone's freaking out. Again, it's that same, uh, you know, keep your politics out of my NFL football. But I'm looking at it going, man, the president doesn't spend like even half his time there. It's not that important. Right. right? 
you kind of felt that way though when guys were like, I don't want to meet that communist Obama, but that, at the same time, I'm like, I guess I just don't even care if you meet <laughs> meet them or not, you know? I mean, right? Yeah, I mean, Tom Brady didn't go to meet Obama, so it's not like this is unprecedented. Tom Brady backed out in 2015. So Tom Brady pulled that same thing with Obama? Oh, well, then That they're saying that this is well, an outrage that he won't meet Trump? Come on. Until the color of a man's skin is of no more significance than the color of his eyes. Miss a war. That until the basic human rights are equally guaranteed to all without regard to race. There's this article I saw that could possibly be a good high note. Spine-tingling lost Bob Marley tapes restored after 40 years in the cellar. Let's do this. So, a cache of lost Bob Marley recordings has been discovered after lying for more than 40 years in a damp London hotel basement. The 13 reel-to-reel analog master tapes were discovered in cardboard box files in a rundown hotel in Kensal Rise, northwest London, the modest lodgings where the Bob Marley and the Whalers stayed during their European tours in the mid-70s. Just laying down some tracks? Yeah, laying down some tracks. Do the, they post the audio? The or they probably don't have it yet. Known as the Lost Masters, uh, were at first believed to be ruined beyond repair. Yet, after more than 12 months of painstaking work using the latest audio techniques, the master reels have been restored with the sound quality of Marley, who died in 1981, but would have been 72 on Monday. Described as enough to send shivers down one's spine. Wow, okay. See if You see Biggie's putting out new music, too? Is he really? <laughs> yeah. Is this fake news? No, that's real. Okay. His, like, what, his wife mm-hmm. is putting out an album that's like Biggie duets or whatever with some like unreleased and like rare recordings that she like has gone and <laughs> recorded over wow okay to do duets with them or whatever trying to make money wait did you say it was his ex-wife isn't that the one that like slept with tupac I probably don't know. dude i don't know i'm just gonna toss stuff out <laughs> all right well good good high note chuck that's awesome <laughs> do they have it where you can listen to it no you can't that's bullshit um, <laughs> right well they're like it's so beautiful it's the most beautiful music you've ever heard it, yeah. You can't listen to it, though, yeah, but that's, it's that's, real great. Exactly. This guy is going to make his money uh, on these on these tapes, you know. You can't just let that out for free. He's done 10 years of work. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. It's a title exclusive. <laughs> no, I don't know. I just thought that, you know, that's a high note to find something from uh, the man in the name of the Most High. So yeah, man. That's like finding the <laughs> like new new biblical texts, you know, buried in, in the Middle East in a cave or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that does it for another week. I want to thank you for tuning in. You can follow us at liquid underscore flannel on Twitter. And you can also find us individually. Uh, I am at Shaggy2Trope. Brendan, where can they find you? I'm at Brendan Williams with one L. And Matt, where can we find you? I'm on Twitter at MattTheGweight with a W. All right. There you have it. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you next time.